The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No mai, hoki mai, uh, TNA, uh, and welcome to the fold. Uh, this week, my guest is uh, Samson Samasoni, who got in touch with me in the aftermath of New Zealand on Air's uh, where, the, where Are the Audiences Research, which uh, any regular listener will know is, is an object, object of, of real fascination for me. And, and he had some really interesting things to say about the research, about the methodology, about what's really good and important about it and about the things that it could improve. And and I, I ended up sort of chatting with him on the phone and, and over email in the coming days, and I thought he would make a fantastic guest uh, for this podcast, largely because of his background. So... Samson is you know, started out training as a journalist and um, worked in, in Aotearoa in the early eighties. Uh, you know, was I think went to journalism school alongside Tapu Misa, one of the the real uh, lions of Pacifico journalism. But he's had a really extraordinarily varied career since. Uh, worked in the Ministry of Pacific Island Affairs under uh, the, the Minister Richard Preble in the mid-late 80s uh, and then has had a long uh, career in, in corporate communications, public relations and change management. These are words which you know, the journalists um, among you might recoil at. Uh, you know, there's a thing which we're sort of, I was literally trained in journalism school to, to told to consider that uh, people in PR were quote unquote paid liars. And, you know, it's a, it's a very sort of seductive myth. And, and when you kind of look at the explosion of comms and government and, uh, you know, and the shrinking of journalism, it's very easy to be sort of, uh, you know, taken, taken in by it. I, personally never really bought it and, and buy it less and less now and, and have huge respect and admiration for people in communications as a discipline. And I think you really see that in in sort of Samson and what Samson's got to say here. You know, he's taken this global experience, he's taken his uh, his own sort of Pacifica background, um, you know, he's uh, Samoan and uh, from Tokelau and has sort of taken the, the sort of the that experience, those kind of big kind of conceits, and and you know a real sense of mission around trying to achieve more equitable outcomes across a whole range of uh, areas for Pacifica, 
um, both uh, in the islands and, and within New Zealand. And that's really what this discussion is, is about. It's about the kind of the research or the lack thereof that tells us what we're all doing with our time. Um, you know, as I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, the, the era where we sort of all did broadly the same thing is just completely obliterated. Now it is very much opaque. We, you know, we live in an era where we all have our own media consumption patterns and those are defined and delineated by our ethnic background, by the communities to which we belong, by our age, by our relationships and communities. And largely the media, the, um, the communications industry in its broader sense and, and government's interaction with both of those hasn't really kept pace. And I think you see right now, and this is where we sort of start the discussion, is that when you're trying to vaccinate a whole country very quickly and the consequences are life and death and hugely impactful economically, knowing how to effectively communicate with those people, it really, really matters. And I, I don't think there are many people in New Zealand with a with a you know a better and more kind of well rounded view on that than, than uh, Samson. So have a listen to this. I think there's a lot in it. This is uh, Samson Samasoni on the fault. Uh, lava, Samson, and uh, welcome to the fault. Tanaka Duncan, It's good to be with you. Um, so. You, you. I didn't even uh, know you a couple of weeks ago, and the reason that we're here is actually uh, you got in touch out the back of uh, a podcast I did and a piece I wrote um, off the back of New Zealand on Air's "Where Are the Audiences" uh, piece of research, which you know, I'm any any regular listener to this podcast will know I'm I'm quite obsessed with. And you had some really, really, I think, interesting insights into. Uh, the one of the pieces that I singled out, um, the the sort of what what it showed about uh, Pacifica audiences, and and I think that you know, and you had some quite interesting both things and parts of it you liked, but also some critiques as well. I just wondered if you could start by just um, telling me what what it was you you found sort of interesting, instructive there, and and any kind of frustrations you kind of had with it as well. Sure. Look, you know, look. I, the great thing is just the depth that it does go into. It's the major piece of research we've got on Pacifica uh, audience uh, and, and media consumption that we've got, and uh, for other audiences as well. So, what uh, they've done is highly important in terms of putting this together. And I think since 2016, so it's a really valuable uh, piece of research to have. But uh, I guess I'd, I'd like to view it more as a start as opposed to the end of something. You know, I, I think there's more that we could glean from research like this and other things that we could get into more depth about. One of the frustrations I do have is the methodology for the way that the research is done. And it's not just this piece of research, or other um, research involving Epasifika where I think it could be done a little bit differently to get... Uh, more insightful uh, information from. So the the key thing here is that I think it would be good if it was if it wasn't uh, just done via telephone and online resources. We know that, uh, or online panels in this case, we know that uh, Pacifica feature heavily in the digital divide. The estimate is that about thirty percent of Pacifica people have 
uh, some uh, complications or difficulties with uh, accessing digital devices, resources, um, internet, that sort of thing. So having too much reliance on online um, as surveying may not give us a, a true picture. And then the other thing is the use of landlines. Uh, look, I found myself that you know, I actually don't know many people that have landlines. And I think that uh, probably mobile phones uh, in, in terms of doing these surveys would be perhaps more insightful, especially, especially since the Pacifica community does skew younger given our median age is 24. So those are the two key things that I think that would give us a bit more uh, useful uh, approach to these sorts of things. But I'm not uh, belittling or uh, disappointed overall about the way that the survey's done. The fact that it's there, it's available, it gives us something to look at and to, to uh, follow the trends since 2016 is highly invaluable. And I think there's just some more that we that, that could be done perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that that's... I, I kind of have a, a similar relationship with the research in, in some senses. It, in some respects, it's quite extraordinary that they're given the, the total quantum of government spending and just how uh, sort of stratified and um, our society is and how much our behaviour is changing at the moment, particularly for... Uh, you know, communities like Pacifica and, and some other um, of our fastest growing communities, which, which have different age profiles and different, you know, as, as the survey shows, different media consumption habits. The fact that it's this one big but also relatively small piece of research that is is the only thing that's kind of out there, you know, how, well, what is the the value of, of research and, and how might government's uh, sort of spending or its just ability to kind of conduct itself democratically be improved by having better, more targeted research of this nature? Mm, well, look, specifically in terms of this research, I mean, one of the things I think we need to look to is at the, the margin of error. So the general report has 2.6%, plus or minus 2.6%. Whereas the Pacifica and the low socioeconomic one, I think it's at about 6.5. So 6.5% is quite a spread, you know, in terms of what, we've got a 14 percentage spread there. And uh, the, you, with that in mind, with the fact that we aren't interviewing those audiences that are hard to reach within the Pacifica community, uh, the fact that many government agencies do rely on this to then develop their own communication campaigns or, in fact, it helps dictate their comms spend, it has far more influence, I guess, than uh, New Zealand On Air or, or, or some others might realise because it uh, does have an impact on the way a lot of it rolls out. And we're seeing that in, particularly in terms of uh, the, the vaccination campaign at the moment and some of the issues around uh, COVID-19. Uh for example, at the moment, there's a strong uh, reliance on digital tools. Uh, and in fact, there was a Victoria University uh, report uh, earlier in the year where government officials actually said that they entered the COVID-19 um, pandemic knowing that 20% of the uh, their audience didn't operate online, so were missing out on a lot of the communications they were putting out there. Now, they didn't come up with a good solution for how to address that, but they just noted that. So if it's 20% for the general New Zealand population, which is a million people, then you can imagine that for 
uh, groups like Pacifica, Maori, uh, disabled and other people who, uh, ethnic groups, that uh, the digital divider should be a lot greater. So I think we've just got to understand those sorts of things. And I think the other thing that I think the the report could be, could more usefully do, and particularly in terms of uh, Pacifica communities, is that notion of communal viewing versus individual viewing. I mean, we know for ourselves perhaps that uh, there's certain things we will tend to watch on our phones or on our laptops or devices, but then perhaps when it comes to news, sports and other sorts of things, it might be a more communal viewing that's done in the living room. Some sort of analysis of that might be useful. So I think what would be useful overall is just to have a look at the methodology for these sorts of reports and what's the best way to get those particularly hard to reach audiences and then perhaps a focus group type things, which just gives you uh, more nuanced uh, research in terms of how people live out their lives and the sorts of ways they go about utilising media. The thing that really makes this quite viscerally important and ultimately life or death and, and certainly of, of huge economic consequence as well as all the flow on sort of social and community aspects is, is that yeah, the timing of this thing is is you know I, I'm we're, uh, I'm currently in in level four lockdown. You're you're at Delta two um, down in Wellington, and the 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 vaccination program is ultimately the way out. And there's been some as as you know we we've discussed sort of off air some kind of misleading reporting on the the vaccination rates for Pacifica, which maybe you should touch on. But but broadly speaking, you know, the getting that last 25, 20 to 25% of people across the line to be vaccinated, there are huge flow-on consequences here, which ultimately come down to having communications. There isn't really any dispute about the efficacy of the vaccines, but it's actually really finding people get, and, and speaking to them in a way that whether that's a language or a, or a tone that uh, you know that, that moves them you know what, what what's your perspective on the quality of the government communications effort in the broader sense of the word on that front I think one of the things that's been fascinating is that uh, we've got the the Ministry of Health doing monthly research uh, providing insights on on the way people view uh, the vaccine uptake. And so that's great. They survey a lot of people. I think it's over 1,000, 1,200, something like that. But the thing again, it's all done online. So again, they're getting a certain percentage of proportion of the population and perhaps aren't reaching the more difficult, hard to, hard to reach audiences that we that I've talked about earlier. So if that helps informs the way that, um, or inform the way that uh, their communication uh, uh, rollout occurs, then they're missing a trick or two. And that's where I think the communications process is, is, is failing to some degree because it's not uh, dealing with the specific issues that each group uh, needs to address. I, I think there's also this thing of it's been blown out proportion a little bit in terms of the Pacifica community. You know, 
we, we actually only make up 8% of the population, so it's not sort of not a huge population. And we really, if we talk about those who have been eligible, it's probably more like 6%. So, in fact, we could say that uh, if no Pacifica person got uh, vaccinated, New Zealand could still achieve 94% and, uh, you know, be close enough to that elimination strategy that's uh, that's being pursued. But... But clearly, we need to, to be able to communicate to Pacifica communities just to, like everybody else to be able to uh, be effective. And I think what they're not doing is using the insights from that earlier um, research that I mentioned, the monthly report they do. And then uh, what, what we're not seeing is the messaging that's coming out of that. So, for example, now, you know, when we're really trying to drive the vaccination program, the, the sort of advertising I'm seeing is still talking about uh, join the journey, a united, uh, we can you know deal with this together. But given the, the, the insight uh, research report they do is really specific about what's stopping those who, have, who are hesitant about the vaccination. What are the core messages and key messages we need to be driving now? That's what we need to be able to be able to focus on. How are we going to get to those really difficult audiences that are hard to reach with the sort of information that's going to get them over the line, using all the emotional drivers that we need to draw on to be able to convince them and motivate them. And uh, that's what I'm not quite see happening at the moment with the vaccination campaign. Do you want to talk a bit about the work that you do in this broad area yourself? You know, uh, you know since you returned to New Zealand, I actually want to talk to, about change management because you, you've written about that very in a very kind of interesting, provocative way in a piece that we're running on the spin-off today. But... But I think uh, the that's obviously gone into the work that you do for for government and, and other clients in this area. Yeah, just 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 discuss that um, if you don't mind. Yes, it's 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 an interesting one because uh, I mean I really you know did government communications before let's say two thousand, and it was fairly much you know just your typical corporate communication style thing. But uh, around two thousand. I'm going to say it was probably tipping point. Welcome, Gladwell's a book on that. That uh, it started to change my thinking about the way we do communications, particularly the way that uh, it affects um, uh, the audiences we're trying to reach. And I was specialising in Pacifica uh, communications at the time. Uh, what I realised then was that every communication requires some sort of behaviour change or some behaviour action. So uh, whether it's corporate communications, internal, everything requires some sort of response from an audience. And when you start to see all your communications and that from that perspective, it change the, changes the way you, you tackle it because you're always looking for the behaviour change, the action that's going to result from your communication um, campaign. So uh, I, I ended up specialising in that uh let's call it uh, social marketing, behaviour change communications and working in a change communications setting. Uh, one of the biggest ones I, I worked on was in Saudi Arabia. It was actually an SAP implementation, so they were implementing a whole new uh, IT system for the company. It uh, was uh, SABIC in Saudi Arabia, which uh, I think is about the sixth, fifth largest a petrochemical company in the world. At that time, they had about 16 companies, 23,000 staff across about five uh, different countries. And they wanted them all to do the same thing. They wanted to change the, not only the IT system, but they wanted everyone to behave in the same corporate way, if you like. So I 
was brought in in the second phase of that to head up the change communications team. And having to apply behaviour change concepts in a corporate setting to make sure that within two years, all of them were going to be corporate compliant, if you like. Huge, hugely ambitious, and uh, uh, but but it was required, and uh, we were actually successful. Uh, everything everything went through as as uh, we'd uh, prescribed it would, and a lot of it was down to research, understanding uh, basic human drivers and the way that people do things. But also, I think one of the things I learned from that experience was that it's not so much the communications that you put out but it's the environmental ecosystem that you build around that to enable people to change. Uh, we have this theory that we work on that, uh, you know, if you, there's no research available for whatever audience, you you automatically say, well, 20% of them will comply. They'll just do what's required. But at the other end of the spectrum, 20% are going to be really difficult. And half of that 20%, 10%, will actually be totally opposed. Uh, in a corporate setting some of that 10% might be the people you actually sack because they're not going to ever get with the program at all. Uh, then there's a 60% in the middle, and what you're wanting to do is shift them along to the compliant end. Some of them will take uh, different um, kinds of information, motivations, incentives, and uh, disincentives to move them along. But that 20% at the end, that's the one you're going to have to spend a lot of time and resources on to get them over the line. And I, I, well, I'm starting to see a little bit of that coming through on the vaccination program now. The uh, the bus that's going around is an example of just being a bit more creative about how we get out there. Uh, and I, I think all that's uh, really useful, but it's almost like it, it was almost too late, you know, and I had to wait for Delta for these sorts of things to come, to come through. And I think it's pretty clear, and what Basifiko and Māori are saying, is that that whole ecosystem or infrastructure that allows them to drive it, that gives them the resources, the capability to manage the communications, the engagement, hasn't been there. And this is why they've been uh, complaining about it in the past. So uh, I've been concentrating on that in my career and various other things uh, until I got back to New Zealand about six years ago. But I haven't found in New Zealand the same opportunity to take that real behaviour change approach to communications. Uh, I could, of course, have gone back into change management, if you like, but uh, I was sort of a bit sick of doing the corporate thing and wanted to get more into uh, the social sector. So I've worked with some wonderful people in government agencies over the last few years and still continue to do so. But we haven't really nailed that thing of how do we put together a really comprehensive campaign, particularly targeted at Pacifica, that really focuses on the research and the specific behaviour change outcomes that we're wanting to address. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's the thing that I think is really fascinating. And, and I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a huge opportunity, but it also feels like it isn't being held. I mean, people complain, particularly people in my profession in, in journalism, about uh, communications and the growth of it versus the shrinking of, of journalism. But, you know, to my mind, that's a misplaced critique, A, because, you know, it, it's not, um, it's very much not, not apples and oranges. But B, I think it's undeniable that at the moment we are living through an era of yeah, as as we see the the sort of the the twilight of the mass media and um, 
and the massive growth of digital platforms and people self-selecting their media consumption patterns, it's manifestly obvious that communication gets more challenging and, and that you know, the sort of mainstream, quote-unquote, to the extent that it ever existed is, is much less relevant, particularly when you're trying to reach specific communities, which obviously are, you know we, we use as a catch-all, but it's actually a lot of different um, communities you're um, you yourself have uh, someone and and Tokolo uh, heritage as well. So, like, you know, what what you know is that part of the challenge for government that it's used to, you know, coming from a great height and not viewing the intricacies. And the the challenge is this in this era, those intricacies are kind of everything. If you want to, as you say, affect um, behavioural change, which you know might be as simple as I want you to you know, exercise a bit more, which matters. But when it's a vaccine, then the stakes just feel a lot higher. Mm, no, exactly, exactly. I think this is where we get into the, the issue of stronger public media as well and the, and the work that's been done around that. I mean, with because the, uh, for Pacific audience particularly, because because we don't have a natural home in terms of where do we go for our communications. It's been more difficult for government agencies, in this case with the vaccination campaign, to really drive home that message because we're relying on mainstream media, principally TV, of course. Uh, so I, I think there's uh, what we're uh, missing out on uh, for Pacifica and uh, and maybe other uh, ethnic groups is that um, is, is that ability to be able to communicate well through uh, media that Pacifica trust and uh, can be associated with. I think I'll, I'll come back to that. But the other point I want to quickly mention is that also we don't have a lot of Pacifica communication specialists, so that uh, they're not able to to bring this, if you like, to uh, government agencies and people who are working on it. Uh, I remember when I started in journalism back in the early eighties, I was probably one of ten Pacific journalists in New Zealand. And while there are a few more today, uh, given that uh, 1980s was a long time ago, I would have expected a lot more people with communication backgrounds and particularly journalism backgrounds uh, to be in the in the marketplace now. If it wasn't for places like Pacific Media Network, uh, Tangata Pacifica and, and Coconut TV, I don't even think we'd have the numbers that we have now. So mainstream media hasn't been terribly good at helping to advance our capability of Pacific journalists and Pacific communicators. But just going back onto the stronger public media thing. So uh, the last year, the Ministry for Pacific Peoples tried various things. And, and one of the things in terms of mainstream media that they did was they had all these short messages they put on uh, uh, TV1 at prime, you know, close to prime time. Uh, I think it was five o'clock instead of the chase. Uh, and they had, uh, you know, a Cook Island message, a Nguyen message, a Tukarawa message, all in the one hour. Now, I'm not sure about you, but that's not the way I normally watch TV. <laughs> I'm not sitting there through other languages I can't understand, so I can hear seven minutes of Tukarawa that, that's said halfway through the program. And But the reason they had to do that is because there was nowhere else to put it. 
There was nowhere else we didn't, as I say, have a, a natural home on TV where that could go. And I think these are the discussions that uh, we need to have in terms of this whole stronger public media thing, you know, where we're talking about how do we reach underserved communities? What do we need to be doing to be able to ensure that they get access to media uh, and journalism and uh, key information, particularly at times of emergency like this? We'll just take a a very quick break and come back with more from Samson after this. I I think just before the break, you you diagnosed what I think is a really sort of pertinent part of this, that, you know, when we talk about mainstream media, and I'm aware that that's a a loaded and complex term, we, we essentially mean on some level Pākehā media. And there is, uh, there, there are media for um, which, which target and, and, and work for uh, other, other communities. You have Iwi Radio, you have Māori Television, you have uh, Radio Tirana and so on. Uh, the extent, you know, and some of those are related to kind of tertiary breaches and, and so on around language. There's a, there's a kind of complex soup which makes up um, government participation in media more broadly. But, but as you point out, um, for Pacifica, and I think we're going to see this with, you know, we've got a, you know, part of the waves of immigration we've had, particularly over the last 10 years, means that we now have, and in many respects, this is a really lovely thing about uh, modern New Zealand is that it is a, a very diverse society. You know, you have, you know, large Filipino communities and, and um, ethnic Chinese communities and so on. The, the government media infrastructure is, has not um, kept pace with with uh, serving those communities, and Pacifica is probably the uh, you know one of, if not the longest, um, you know, tenured uh, community out, outside of Māori and, and Pākehā in, in New Zealand. You know, you're absolutely right. You you feel that absence. Had that infrastructure been built at a different time, it might have been able to, to transition to digital in a different way and. And obviously, you know, that we do, that's notwithstanding the fact that Coconut exists and there are, and Tangata Pacifica exists and so on. But the, they, they are relatively contained, um, in, and certainly in terms of the quantum of their funding. How would you, if you were to sort of advise a New Zealand on air or even a, a you know, a Chris Farfoy, uh, go about solving what is now quite a pernicious problem in certainly, I think, the, the most difficult era we've ever had to try and solve it, especially given that, as, as you said earlier, Pacifica audiences, are, they're in some, in many ways the future of New Zealand. They're, they're, they're our youngest audience, so their behaviours demographically represent you know, challenges where we're going to have to solve for the, the whole of the population in years to come. Mm, yeah, look, it's a fascinating point. You know, I watch uh, 6 o'clock news most nights and I think about the rest of New Zealand, you know, wondering why is there so much Pacifica news on at the moment, particularly over the last couple of weeks. Uh, But when you think about the fact that in Auckland, one in four children have have at least one Pacific ethnic identity, uh, you can perhaps understand why there is such a focus, particularly in cases like this so with the um, COVID uh, pandemic, why there is such a strong focus on Pacifica communities. And so what our 
what our broadcasting um, public media thing hasn't been able to do is to be able to address uh, those sort of communication issues. So it's been a fascinating discussion thinking about what is the problem, I think, uh, and why do we need to change uh, and, and come up with a, a stronger public media? My um, fellow countryman, uh, Chris Fafoy, and that his family are also from Atafu and, uh, and Tokelau, um, is it's quite rightly said, look, there's something wrong here. It's not working. But I don't think what's been well articulated is why it's not working. And, you know, I've reflected this uh, myself on a lot of occasions, you know. We know that, uh, you know, diversity uh, is an issue. Uh, we know that inclusion needs to be um, considered properly. Uh, so th- these are things that need to be tackled, but I think, and, and access is another one. But where I've now landed on this is I think the, the word that's missing is uh, equity. What we're not getting is equitable outcomes from the way that we approach our uh, public broadcasting and media operations. And, of course, I'm not really talking about the commercial sector. They're, they're there for us for different reasons. So we just think about the public media, if, if you like, uh, in general terms. So when you look at the, re- the requirement of the Broadcasting Act as of the, the various bodies, it talks about being able to reflect New Zealand's culture and New Zealand's identity. So that's where diversity inclusion is dealt with, but it doesn't necessarily deal with access. Uh, but I think what's missing is equi- equity. What are equitable outcomes? Now, if we look at the current vaccine, you know, the current COVID issue, the Ministry of Health have come to terms with what equitable health outcomes means, but they actually only defined it in 2019. So it's a very recent thing for them to understand what do we mean by equity. The ministry uh, in the education sector, they're starting to grapple with thing, this thing and they're getting into the whole cultural bias thing, but they're starting to talk about more equitable outcomes as well. So they're dealing with it. But as a sector, have we in the public broadcasting, public media sphere understood that reflecting New Zealand identity and culture is not enough. There's something about having equitable outcomes that uh, that matters. Someone asked me um, the other day, what, what does uh, equity mean? You know, what's the difference between equality and equity? Uh, so the, the definition I used was, you know, just a simple illustration, is that equity is making sure that all, all children get the same Chromebook. But equity is making sure that the parents can afford the monthly internet costs, which allows all children to access and use utilise their Chromebooks effectively. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, that uh, there's obviously got to be more done to support certain parts of New Zealand in order to get the equitable outcomes that, uh, that you're looking to achieve. Does that does, does it make sense at all? <laughs> uh, it, it, make, it makes it makes a lot of sense, and, I, and, I, and that's why I, I have a lot of sympathy for the likes of New Zealand on there, who at times can feel like they're trying to solve 150 years worth of problems through the relatively narrow needle hole that is that is media. But then at the same time, when you look at um, the the sort of scale of the the challenges and the extent to which a lot of them can be traced back to communications, the creation of uh, work specifically for, effective work specifically for those audiences and then having access to it, 
you know, you you sense the the mission and the importance of of it. Uh, you know, what what would a a a sort of whole of government um, approach as it, as it pertains to communications, um, you know, for Pacifica look like, and what would be the sort of the the beneficial elements of like what what would be the impacts of that you know because I think when when you're doing it when you're just looking at vaccinations in real time uh, you tend to there's a there's the I think you use a great analogy in that piece for you uh, uh, you wrote for us today that the the sort of is it the burning platform yes yeah that that uh, that that's where you tend to go it's just what what can we do right now um, it's all very sort of triage centric but this to me is really the staging ground for a decades long um, sort of communications led uh, you know we're, we're, if we want to solve inequities, if we want to solve climate change, if we want to bring all of New Zealand and not just the ones who are easiest to reach through the traditional mediums along with us, then we need to figure out this this piece and I, I i feel like with the positions you've had through journalism through change management uh and through sort of research but in speaking to um you know these the sort of they get called hard to reach audiences you're, you're quite well placed uh to to speak to that mm, no it's a, it is it is a major challenge and i and i don't necessarily I've got the, the, all the solutions, but uh, it, it's one that uh, many people are trying to grapple with. When uh, we get assigned to do a job for a, a government agency or an NGO, quite often they will come to us and say, hey, we want to make a video about this. And then I'll ask them to step back and, and say, okay, you're wanting to make the video, but what are you wanting to, what's the outcome you're wanting to achieve? And then they'll say, well, ultimately, we want people to believe this or understand that or, or act in some way. So they, what they've done is already decided that the, the, the medium they're going to use to be able to achieve the outcome that they are, are trying to affect. And, and I, I think sometimes we that's how we come at things. We, uh, particularly in, in government communications, thing, we've got an idea of how we're going to deal with the problem before we've really fully understood the way we other ways of being able to reach the same outcome. And I think that's the uh, the case for some of the work uh, that we're that's going on here. That we're saying that uh, TVNZ and RNZ needs to be merged, broken up and dealt with in some way in order to achieve, uh, I'm going to call it, an equitable outcome for all uh, New Zealanders. Um, uh, and, and because that's what we're that's the, what we've been dealt with. We've got the the infrastructure there. We've got the uh, the things that are, that are already in place. We've invested way too much in it, so we can't muck around with it too much. But we, if we tinker around with a few things, uh, then uh, we might end up with a different result at the, at the other end. But I agree with you. We're at a fundamental point now, and 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 this is the point that Chris Farfoy is making. If we do this right. Uh, this will this will lay the groundwork for how public media will operate in over the next 20, 30 years, definitely a, a generation. So in terms of um, uh, the what what uh, the, the way we need to go about it, I think we uh, well first of all the 
New Zealand On Air and all the other operators that are that are in this, they're, they're doing exactly what they're being charged to do and they're doing it really well. I don't hear anyone complaining about the way that New Zealand On Air operates. It's, it's producer-led, they're very efficient, they go with what broadcasters uh, require or what they're needing supported. So no, no, no issues at all about the way that New Zealand On Air uh, manages things. But because of the way the institutions, the ecosystem, the infrastructure is set up, you know, are we then able to provide all the the different platforms, the different uh, channels of communication that will enable audiences like the hard to reach, uh, difficult to reach like Pacifica, to be able to access the information, entertainment and so on that they need. And this is where we get into that chicken and egg thing with some of the New Zealand On Air funding. Um, they look at their research and say, look, a lot of the Pacifica audience is online. You can see they're spending a lot of, a lot of time watching uh, YouTube and TikTok and so on. So let's head that way. So that's where the Pacific, a lot of Pacific content ends up going uh, because, of course, you, it's hard to get it onto primetime mainstream um, linear TV. So then, uh, so then the audience is further driven there because that's where they're going to find the things that are of interest to them. So is it because the audience is there that we're then supporting them or are they being driven there because that's where they can easily access uh, the whole thing? Uh, if we look at radio, for example, I think that's a, a better example of where we've tried to uh, build uh, an ecosystem that is more reflective or more supportive of this equitable outcome. And clearly Pacifica, uh, uh, Pacific Media Network is uh, the prime example of that where you've got pro programming in Pacific languages. You've got uh, music and content that um, uh, has a Pacific flavour, identity to it, and you've got news and issues being discussed that are relevant to Pacific. Uh, then in terms of the public spend, you've got Radio New Zealand uh, doing their thing, but realising they should be doing more in that Pacific area. Now, I was the one of the ones who uh, was not in favour of the youth radio program uh, um, venture they tried to set up because there was going to be a focus on, uh, it was going to have a strong focus on Māori and Pacifica on there. All that was saw that doing was actually cannibalising some of Pacific Media Network's audience. So uh, where Pacific Media Network is, if you like, an attempt at trying to achieve an equitable outcome for Pacifica uh, audiences in the radio environment, uh, there was the danger that the two public media, uh, publicly funded radio um, um, uh, groups were going to actually be competing with each other for the same audience. And, you know, while people might say, well, Pacific Media Network, its audience isn't huge, if we think about the within the Pacifica environment, it's significant, then uh, then we're able to look at it a different way. So say, let's look at uh, Fresh TV, for example. Sometimes that ends up in the, the top 10 uh, New Zealand On Air uh, ranking of uh, New Zealand On Air supported programs on mainstream TV. Uh, and it's audience of around 30,000, 40,000, some figure like that. So in the overall uh you know, New Zealand audience doesn't seem significant, but we think that the Pacific uh, population is around 400,000. At 30,000, 40,000 people, that's a significant 
percentage or proportion of the, the Pacifica audience. Um, and, uh, you know, if we did it proportionally, would be similar to, you know, perhaps um, six o'clock news on TV1 for the general audience. But the problem is that uh, New Zealand on air and its funding can't always look at, at that Pacific group on its own and say, okay, we need to support that a lot more, even though the audiences and numbers are small, uh, proportionally, it's uh, an audience that's important for that community and uh, and clearly that programming is uh, is worthwhile. The other factor too is, is uh, and, and people may not uh, agree with me on this, but I think our role in terms of supporting Pacific Islands generally is really important. So Fresh TV, Tangata Pacifica, when that goes out in the Pacific, that's primetime TV. That's what a Pacific... TV channel would look like. It would have those programs in prime time. Now, try to get uh, either of those programs prime time in New Zealand. It's it's just not going to happen. Maybe Māori TV might or get the closest to it, but uh, uh, you're unlikely to see it anywhere else. And I think that's what we've got to be able to do is somehow break things down a little bit and just ask some really fundamental questions uh, and, um, and and be able to segment audiences in a different way because we know we're in a fragmented media market and let's let's go with that and let's uh, work out some way of being able to achieve equitable outcomes for all the uh, diverse populations in, in Aotearoa. Uh, honestly, that that basically feels like a pretty good manifesto to me. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for, for coming on the fold today, Samson. And yeah, really look forward to reading your writing uh, on the spinoff. And, and uh, you know, I think the, what, what you said really kind of, it, it, it does feel to me like it kind of encapsulates the, the big front that that's in front of media but particularly in front of the government participation in media at the moment thank you very much duncan and look congratulations on the spin-off on seven years uh it, uh, a, a huge milestone and, and looking forward to working with you and the team further thank you kia ora e te iwi, te ahe butler here podcast manager at the spin-off if you enjoy listening to our podcasts consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at the spinoff.co.nz slash donate The Spin-Off Podcast Network.